Hello and welcome to the Friday Reporter Podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Camuso-Miller. I'm a public affairs professional in Washington, D.C., and I interview members of the media about their background, about how they got into journalism, and lots of other topics. The Friday Reporter is a PR Daily podcast. Check out PR Daily for ideas, inspiration, and trends on all things public affairs and to find the Friday Reporter podcast. Well, thanks so much for joining me for another episode of the Friday Reporter podcast. Today's episode, I am thrilled to have the Washington correspondent and really just uh, one of the most remarkable Capitol Hill reporters, uh, Carl Hulse from the New York Times is with me today. Carl, thanks so much for being with me. I'm I'm glad to be remarkable and to be here. Oh, you are. You are. And you were, well, I'm lucky enough to have, uh, to have worked with you in the Capitol building. Several other episodes I have talked with, uh, with folks who do uh, similar work to what you do and have really sort of made the comparison that working in Capitol Hill in the building itself is kind of like uh, being in a shopping mall where you run into friends all day long, people that you know, catching up, what's happening here and there, uh, that it's not your traditional news uh, gathering uh, beat uh, like others would be. And so uh, when I arrived on the scene at the Capitol, you're always so kind and gracious to me and helpful to me, and I'm glad to have you here. Well, that's the beauty of working up there, that you just walk around and get stories all day. You know, that's basically how I did a lot of my reporting. So fun, though. And so, but how, uh, so you, uh, you're originally from Illinois. How in the, how did you, how how in the world did you get to Washington, D.C.? I I had no real intention to be here ever, (laughs) and I've I've been here since 1985. Wow. Uh, You know, it was just serendipitous. I went to Illinois State University. Uh, worked on the school paper there, got into journalism, worked at little papers, uh, one in LaSalle, Illinois, very close to my hometown. I've always said you can't work in your hometown because you know already know all the secrets, so <laughs> not a good idea. Or you'll, uh, or you'll have to leave with lots of enemies. <laughs> yeah, no, it would not have worked for me. Uh, and then uh, a, a bigger paper, and then I was in Florida for five years oh, wow. uh, in the 80s and worked there and kind of just ended up in Washington, but I was a political reporter, you know, and even in Florida, I covered local government and uh, the state legislature. And, you know, this was uh, a kind of a natural stepping stone and people, uh, you know, when I was in college, I covered the academic Senate for Illinois State University. And I say, basically, I, I still have the same job. You Interesting. Know, it's, it's very similar, you, you know, Politicians are, are, are a lot like um, academics in some ways. You know, it's the same politics. And uh, I've I've just stuck with doing the same thing for a long time. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Just a different set of people. Yeah, and it's changed so much. I mean, over the course of time, I mean, the the way you do your reporting, the way you do all of your work has really changed. It's funny you say that. So my first job was at the LaSalle paper. And we typed on manual typewriters, mm. royal manual typewriters, which, you know, most people have never even experienced. And not only that, we typed on uh, cut up sheets of newsprint with carbons between to make copies. So you really had to hit those keys hard. really hard right. to get that through. And, and, uh, and, you know, I dictated stories over the phone. We mm. still did that, you know, the whole uh, get me rewrite thing. And now you write your story on the phone. You know, yeah. you can certainly, and I have. So yeah. it's, I've been 
uh, part of a huge evolution in just the way we do our, our job. It's remarkable. And, uh, and for you to be translating Washington, D.C. to not only a New York-based audience, yeah. uh, but it's an international audience. You're translating for the world, really, what's happening yeah, inside the Times, D.C. The Times readership is, is so huge. And un- unfortunately, sometimes too engaged, right? Because you hear you hear from a lot of them. I'm sure. Uh, but yeah, it's a, it's actually a privilege. I, I it's and it's also a privilege to work in the Capitol. I say this all the time. I've lived on Capitol Hill the entire time. Really, I've been in Washington since '85, mm-hmm. and I've said this again and again. The the day you don't uh, feel great about walking into that building to do your job is the day you better get a new job yeah. because it's, it's really like an honor and, you know, to work there. That doesn't mean, <clears throat> excuse me, that doesn't mean you have to, uh, you know, be sycophantic or something to the people you're covering, but you know, it's, it's a, it's a great gig. Uh, why I stuck with it so long, I think. Sure. And so for you, because you have covered the Congress for the time that you have. Tell me a little bit about how your beat has evolved. Are you caring about the House and the Senate? Are you caring more specifically about leadership these days? Like what, what kinds of, or is it a little bit of all of it? Like how does, how does your day evolve in terms of reporting? Well, so, I mean, when I first started covering uh, Congress, I was working for the New York Times regional papers, which were I was in the Times Bureau, but I covered for 36 papers around the country. So you were at that point, I was really focused on, you know, specific members, you know, the the papers wanted to hear about their members and their delegation. So that was you would really drill down on uh, certain folks, right, Mm -hmm. Florida, California, a lot in the South. And then when I began covering Congress for the Times specifically, but then you're on the day to day, you know, you're the, here's the, what are the developments today? You know, like if, if during what's going on now, infrastructure, I'd be covering like every little turn of the screw. Mm-hmm. But now as the chief Washington correspondent, my job is sort of to tell people why things are happening, you know, where I think they're going less, the, less on the day to day and more on the analysis of, mm-hmm. uh, you know, why things are happening, where this is going to end up, what it means politically, that sort of thing. So uh, people have said to me, why do you, how can you find your, keep your job interesting? Well, my job's always changing. Absolutely. uh, Absolutely. That's a way to approach it. So Carl, tell me a little bit about the Washington Bureau. How is that broken up? Is it a big team at the Times? Yeah, for you. Yes. It's actually huge right now. And it's funny because it has grown so much, but uh, when I first was in the Times Bureau, I would so this is '86 when I went into that office. I'm guessing there was 45 or 50 people, mainly reporters, editors, that sort of thing, mm-hmm. and a few photographers. Now we have, I think, over 120, somewhere in that neighborhood. Wow! Uh, but besides the reporters and editors, we have producers and. Uh, website people and uh, coders even uh, to some degree, you know, Mm -hmm. just a variety of jobs. It used to be, obviously, we knew everyone in the Bureau knew each other uh, quite well. And now there's definitely people in the Bureau that I don't know. (laughs) So, and we've also been out of the office for over a year. So we've had, we've had people 
in and out who uh, I never met. Sure. So, but yeah, we have a giant operation here. And, you know, the Times is really trying to grow its digital audience. This is this is what we're about right now. And it takes it takes a lot of folks. I mean, the Times does a great job uh, on all its uh, digital endeavors and mm-hmm. but it takes a lot of people there's a lot of manpower that goes into this no question i mean jobs have jobs that never existed before now yeah, exist totally. at the times and there are people that probably most likely i mean if you're in the capital and you're I, I would suspect that you're probably mostly in the in the the gallery i mean you're you're working through the the press gallery at the capital right. most of the time there'd be no reason for you to even interact with some of those folks because they're busy behind the scenes doing other um you know developmental or pro, you know projects or whatever it is that that gets your story then out to the readership yeah it's a it's a huge enterprise mm-hmm. and uh you know you don't see a lot of the moving parts but our reach it, it's funny because uh we you know, we reach more people now than we ever did with the print paper. I mean, the print product is great, still great. Everyone mm-hmm. loves uh, getting a story on the front page. I bet. But our readers are really, you know, on their phones, and uh, there is a lot of them. Sure. And it's all, it still shocks me sometimes how, you know, you can be some little casual about stories, and, and but you have to remember this thing is going to be read by literally hundreds of thousands of people and mm-hmm. it needs to be right. That Sophisticated is my, readers, really yeah. thoughtful, smart. Yeah. Readers that are really paying Who you attention. hear from. And, you know, you really need to be my, my goal is to, you know, have my story be right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, because people who, uh, are making decisions are, are reading that, that story. So it's, it's still, you know, it's funny. I've been a reporter, what, 40 some years and mm-hmm. there's, still a lot of pressure and I take it very seriously. Well, that's good. And that's what makes you a fair arbiter in this, this back and forth between communicators and and reporters too, is that I always know when we're going to work on a story together or when someone tells me that you're covering a story, I know that you're going to be super thorough to make sure that you get all sides of, uh, of the, of the picture to make sure that that's adequately reflected. Tell me though, um, were you in the Capitol? Uh, have you been in the Capitol? Have you been traveling? What's How did COVID look for you as a reporter? Because so, so much of what you do, I, you have to be there. Yeah, I mean, I, I have been in the Capitol. I mean, it was somewhat sporadic, certainly at the height of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but we have been pretty much represented there the entire time uh, by, by somebody. And mm-hmm. I, I've been up there. And I also traveled. I did. Uh, I went out. I did campaign stories last year. I went to Alaska, actually, Mm -hmm. and did a story on the uh, Senate and House races up there. That was sort of a, obviously, a bucket list thing for me. But I'm like, okay, let's do it. And, uh, you know, I went through all the, and that was when you had to, was sort of the beginning where you really had to be tested. You had to show a test to get into Alaska because they were having such problems there. So, you know, we haven't been in the office, mm-hmm. but we've been on the ground. And I, I like to say that to people. We haven't been just uh, working from home right. because you really have to do face-to-face sometimes, as you do. Know, Lisa, mm-hmm. there's, some folks really aren't going to call me back right, right. when I'm calling them. And you have to, you got to go track them down. So uh, I also have a house, though, in Colorado, and I spent a lot of time there, but was able to work from there pretty effectively, uh, get people on the phone. We have really good internet, terrible cell service, by the way, but really good internet (laughs) service. 
And funny? Uh, so, in fact, I have said in some, I'm amazed that we were able to actually continue to put out such a quality product during this. But the Times has done great. Yeah. And at the beginning, I go, this is never going to work. We're oh, never going to be able right. to do this. That's and right. we really have. Uh, but there has been, you know, that lacking, there's a newsroom atmosphere and people who have worked in newsrooms know what I'm talking about, where you want to be in there. You want to be talking to your colleagues. You want to be uh, goofing around, but you also want to be exchanging ideas and you want to overhear what people are working on. You, and you say, I, you know what? I know something about that. That's right. Or I heard this about that. So there is a benefit, certainly in our business, to being in the office. Mm -hmm. And, you know, after Labor Day, we're going back. And I think it's going to be like people at least three days a week. I'm mm -hmm. not 100% sure what the rules are. But, uh, but we're, you know, a lot of times... I'm not in the office anyway, but I'm on the hill. I'm talking, and sure. you know, we have a, we have a pretty good group up there. The thing I love so the story. Do, there's a synergy in being together that we did miss. I think uh, the although one. Although I have to say, there were some things that were really easy. Is that usually right? I'm in. Usually I'm in New York for election night, and mm -hmm. you cover the election, then you jump on a train or whatever and race back to Washington for the next day. And uh, that last election, I was at my computer and. Three in the morning, I just went to bed, and then I got up again. <laughs> so <laughs> it, was a, it was a different experience. Well, yeah. And, and the thing that I love, the story that has emerged over the course of the conversations I've had for this podcast is – is a reminder to me of how good uh, and how uh, well the Capitol Hill press corps really works together. That even yes. when there was opportunity for, for a reporter to be in with a member, that there was sharing of tape and yes. there was sharing of conversation that I don't know that that would happen everywhere else. I mean, that to me yeah. is just a tremendous, the camaraderie and the partnership that really ordinarily may not have happened between the New York Times and the Washington Post or et cetera, et cetera, um, yeah, was really going, like you guys were really sharing yeah. and working with one another to help make sure that if someone couldn't be in the building or couldn't be in at the press, whatever it was, uh, that there was a sharing of information that really was still going on that ordinarily yeah, might not have gone on. That was amazing. And I think you're right. You will not uh, typically see that. And, and there were some actually, you know, maybe not huge scoops that were shared, but certainly little scooplets and quotes and people really pitched in and uh, worked together. And part of that was to like limit the number of people who were in the Capitol too. Mm -hmm. But, it, you know, I always call that the uh, uh, media industrial cartel. You know? <laughs> and there's always been an informal sharing because you just can't be everywhere at once. That's right. Up there. That's right. right. It's not like the White House where there's a lot of specific events that you're at. You know, right. you spend a lot of time standing around in the hall. So mm -hmm. it was great. It really was a testament to the way folks uh, cooperate up there. No question. And and I love the I love knowing that. And I love that that's what happened because that's how uh, that was my experience when I was up there, that there was always a sharing and a, and a partnership. And even though folks were looking to scoop one another, because that's yeah. sort of the competition of the game. Right. Uh, there also was this this teamwork that was happening inside the the capital that ordinarily yeah, would it's not a have very happened. friendly rivalry for in most respects yeah well and part of the reason why you know i've come to you because our, our mutual colleague john bresnahan recommended that i 
call you and check in with you. Mm -hmm. And he recommended you for a future uh, interview, but also because there is sort of this um, just sharing of information and just a a general sense of, of we work together. Well, let's talk to this person. Let's check in with this person. And I I love that. Absolutely love that. But tell me, Carl, um, you did cover the election and the election, obviously what made, I think, coverage for the New York Times maybe even a little bit more interesting and different this time around is that um, you were covering a candidate that uh, I I guess you could say he was from New York. So there was a lot of sort of interest inside of the city even as to what was going to happen uh, with the reelect and what was going to happen inside of Washington. How is that? um, Is it is it a challenge to translate for uh, a broader audience, what happens inside of Washington, as you were saying, you like to get it right. Um, do you find that that there is uh, still a, a fundamental misunderstanding of Washington? How does that how does that work for you? <laughs> well, I mean, Trump was certainly he was uh, he was unique in so many respects. Yep. But there was a, a New York element there. We had a lot of people who had covered Trump for a long time. Maggie yeah. Haberman, you know, she's. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's known Trump for for years, Years. but a lot of people did. You know, people have their own perceptions about Washington, and you hear from them. They want to weigh in. And I think one of the big differences in the business now is social media. When I first started, you you rarely heard from readers. Uh, You... You know, and if you did, it was probably something monumental, some huge mistake you'd made or something you'd totally blown. Mm-hmm. And now you hear from them constantly. And, you know, people are judging your stories all the time on social media. Mm-hmm. So you, you do find out uh, what they think about what you're doing. I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but it certainly is a challenging thing. Sure. Uh, because... I try to come at this. I know people don't believe it. It's certainly in a nonpartisan way, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know if you can ever be totally objective, but, uh, you know, I try to not let my values uh, per se influence my reporting on certain things. And a lot of people have difficulty with that. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think, you know, translating something as complicated as what's going on in Washington, it's always difficult, but, you know, we try and do the best we can. You know, you write about, you're writing about process, you're writing about the filibuster, the history of things. Uh, and, you know, a lot of times you have 900 words, mm-hmm. even in the digital age, you know, where we go on a little longer. So, you know, I try to do the best job I can on every story I do, but that's the great thing about the news biz. There's another story coming. Coming so just right behind you it. Can, <laughs> you can go, okay, how do I, how do I clear this up? I'll get it fixed <laughs> in the next one. That's <laughs> it. That's it. Yeah. So, uh, you know, and I always say, well, that's why we have corrections in the paper too, because we make mistakes. We make our mistakes in public, uh, which is a, also a difficult thing that you kind of have to get used to in this business. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I say, you know, you're basically writing a term paper every day, but throwing it out there for the world to judge and edit. And uh, sometimes you do a really good job. Sometimes you do a pretty good job. And sometimes you fail miserably. <laughs> <laughs> but not often. Well, yeah, hopefully not. Um, if you <laughs> not do often, often, then you're not in the not not in the business. I'm in the, I'm in the I'm in the writing and the editing business on a different side of the of the of the coin, and it's constantly you know constantly edited, constantly changed. I have a hundred editors I have to answer to every day. It's, yeah, and it's just hard. think, I mean, yeah. all that all that your material 
all that that goes through before you put it out there. And a lot of times we don't have the time to do all that, right? You're not yeah. going to go yeah. back and consult with everybody. And, uh, you know, if you're doing a big magazine piece, I, so I wrote a book two years ago mm-hmm. and one of the most interesting aspects of that was the fact checking process. I, I you bet. Know, you have, weirdly in, in books, you hire your own fact checker. It's mm-hmm. not something the publisher does. And, you know, I really knew what I was talking about in this book. Mm-hmm. And uh, What's the title of the book, Carl? So it's- uh, Confirmation Bias. So mm-hmm. it's about all the uh, judicial nomination wars and ends up with Kavanaugh. But yeah. it was started as a book about what happened with Merrick Garland and how that helped Donald Trump get elected. Mm-hmm. But so there was all this material that I was super familiar with. And I was st- they, she still found a bunch of mistakes in terms of dates and you know, your memory is not as reliable as you think it is. Even even I was super careful. Mm -hmm. And so it was real eye-opening to me. Uh, You know, it wasn't huge stuff, but it was little things, right? Sequence of events, that sort of thing. So, uh, you know, it's, you know, the first draft of history and it's, uh, we really mean that. That's right. That's right. (laughs) But I think we do, I think we do an amazing job on a day-to-day basis on providing a great product with just a huge amount of information and uh, without screwing it up. Right. Tell me, how how did you, when you wrote the book, did you take time off? Did you do that while you were reporting uh, as well? No, how did I that did look it for while you? I kept, I kept working mm-hmm. because I was covering it as it went. As it went. So right. uh, my kids are out of the house. We were in college at that point. Mm-hmm. I don't think you could, <laughs> it would have been hard to do if you still had to deal with that. I would spend uh, nights, mornings, and all my weekends. Mm -hmm. I mean, like, you know, dusk to dawn to dusk. Mm -hmm. And uh, it took about 18 months. But I think I had a big advantage in that I, this was all stuff I had covered. Right. And I had a lot of, the material was at hand, Mm -hmm. but I just had to sit down and do it. I think it was like, it's over 100,000 words. So that's a lot of words. That's a lot of words. (laughs) Well, I'll make and sure they, that when, and they all needed to be right. <laughs> no doubt. Oh, no doubt about it. And the other thing too, in terms of change in the media, sort of brings up a, a thought to me too, is that you used to at one point have a whole team of folks that could help with research and materials um, and fact checking, and that even that enterprise inside of the newsroom has changed yeah. over the course of time. Yeah, yeah. And you know, we have changed our copy editing process, and because the emphasis right now, honestly, a lot of it is on speed. And mm-hmm. we need to uh, move very quickly. And uh, so, but I try to be super diligent. I know some people won't believe this maybe, but I really, really try to be very careful with what I write. Because mm-hmm. to me, that's the that's the brand and the franchise. Mm-hmm. People, the people who are in Washington read our stories. And if they see that you don't know what you're talking about, that's not good. Well, and, right. And they're also probably not going to continue to read what you're writing right. about. Right. And so what's right. the point yeah. then at that point? Yeah, well, that's why, the are repu- they, why are they going to help and why are they going to be sources if, right. you're, if you're not doing a great job? Or if you're not being fair. And that, and you're, <laughs> of course, that's your reputation all the way through is it's always very thorough, always thought through. And, and so that's another reason why I really wanted to chat with you today. Um, tell me, Carl, though, you know, when you're when you're not writing a book and spending your whole yeah. life doing that and when you're not <laughs> reporting for The New York Times, what kinds of things are key? keeping you busy uh well i still play in a band Mm -hmm. Uh, i'm the drummer in a in a band here on uh 
Capitol Hill. Mm-hmm. And, the na- <coughs> and the name of the band is? Is the Native Makers. Uh-huh. We're semi-famous within about a 10-block square are? block area. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I have this home in Colorado that's up in the mountains that mm-hmm. requires a lot of outdoor work. <laughs> nice. So I spend a lot of time chopping trees down and uh, doing things like that. So, uh, you know, I, I manage to keep busy. I'm actually trying to write a novel right now. Are you? Uh, yeah, a, a historical thriller. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is uh, a, I, something I happened upon in Colorado. Uh, where people don't realize this, but thousands of German prisoners of war uh, were kept in Colorado during World War II. Okay. And a a lot went on with them. (laughs) Uh, Because they put them in Colorado because it was like somewhere they couldn't get away from, right? They're in the middle of uh, the mountains. Yeah. And uh, so I have a, a great plot. And we'll see if I can deliver that. I bet I bet you can. I'm looking forward to that. That sounds terrific. So you're not so you're not saying stagnant. You're keeping you're keeping moving. Has the band played uh, during uh, COVID? We, just, we no. So we had a new gig that was starting at a bar here on Capitol Hill. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the that, that St. Patrick's Day mm-hmm. of COVID. So we stopped. Oh, uh, what a drag! As, as you might imagine, uh, the guys in the band are. Uh, not young like myself. So <laughs> some guys did not want to get together. We just started practicing again. Awesome. And uh, probably after Labor Day, we'll, we'll start uh, doing some gigs. But that it was great. tough. I mean, it was, uh, and it, that's a great release. You know, there's a lot, journalists are, a lot of journalists are frustrated rock stars. <laughs> so this is a way to actually uh, Work do out. something about it. Work yeah. that out. <laughs> I love it. All right. Well, Carl, we've reached the end of the podcast. Can you uh, can you help me think about somebody else, someone else that uh, that you like to hear from uh, for a future uh, podcast episode? Now, I don't. I hopefully you haven't talked to her, but I have an idea. Lisa Mascaro. No, have you talked I have to not. Her? For no. a for the AP. Uh-huh. Uh huh. She is a Capitol Hill reporter. She used to work for the LA Times. Now works for AP, and I think she'd be fun to talk to because. A lot of people get their congressional news from the AP. Mm-hmm. So she is somebody who really covers Congress for the country. You know, a lot of, for a lot of papers, yes. that's their main congressional coverage. No kidding. Uh, unfortunately, some papers don't take the New York Times news service anymore. I think it's pretty expensive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, AP is the, uh, the, the, the source yes. for many, many, many people out there. And I know Lisa, you know, it's funny. I've known her a long time. She also lives on Capitol Hill. Mm-hmm. And her, uh, I, I, she said something to me one day that was interesting. It's like, I'm still amazed that I'm the person who's doing this for the AP, Isn't you know, that because cool. that, that is, you know, that's, that's where people learn about Congress. So I yes. think she'd be great. Awesome. Well, I'll reach out to her and I'll tell her that you nominated her. Carl Hulse, yes. I am thrilled to have had you here with me yeah, today. Thanks so much. And uh, I'll look forward to seeing you after Labor Day at a gig near me. Okay. I'll <laughs> let you know. What, I'll let you know the next one. All right. That sounds good. Thank you. And that's today's Friday Reporter Podcast, a podcast in partnership with PR Daily, a tremendous and helpful guide for all things public relations. Find us there on their website and join us again for another episode soon. On the morning of August 1st, 1966, shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower 
on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. You're listening to Stop the Killing podcast. Join us as we take you behind the crime scene tape to explain global mass shootings and mass attacks. I'm Sarah Ferris, but more importantly, this is Catherine Schweitz, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. I spent five years as the FBI's top executive looking for answers to the mass shooting crisis. I've been at the shooting scenes. I've traced heroic acts of bravery. And I've sat silently and listened to the heart-wrenching stories from survivors. Amongst this horror, there is hope. We all hold the key to stop the killing. You just need to know how to unlock the door. Download Stop the Killing and be part of the solution. Search Stop the Killing on Apple, Spotify, and all the usual suspects.